This is our second session of Look at the Book on the topic, What is the Good News of Christianity? Six biblical truths. And we pointed out that the reason there needs to be a discussion of six things in order to make one point about what the good news of Christianity is, is because in order for any claim to good news to be really heard as the good news it is, you have to understand the situation. Like uh, Jack is home would mean one thing if Jack got home at 5 o'clock instead of 5.30, his usual arrival from work, or if Jack has been in Iraq for three years and you haven't seen him for three years and you haven't heard from him for six months and suddenly he's your son or your husband and he's standing at the front door and somebody hollers, Jack is home, that's a totally different experience of good news. And so it is with the gospel, the good news of of Jesus Christ. You can't know the nature of the good news until you get these these six biblical truths. So number one, last time, was God created the universe and God created us for his glory, which we said meant God created us for his glory, means that his glory be known as the greatest treasure, that his glory be enjoyed as the greatest pleasure, that his glory be shown, go public, since enjoyment and knowing are inside my head and inside my heart, and God doesn't mean to be a merely private being. So his glory is to be shown as the greatest treasure by being enjoyed as the greatest pleasure, along with the attitudes and actions that flow from this supreme pleasure in him. We all know that what we take most pleasure in and what we find to be the greatest treasure, we indeed act differently about. So that was truth number one. Now, today, truth number two. Therefore, therefore, because God created us for his glory, therefore, it is man's joyful duty to live for the glory of God. So this is God's design for the world, and design dictates duty, right? This is God's creation, and creation dictates command. So the design of creation to be for God's glory determines the duty of his creatures to live for that glory. So let's spend the rest of our time now looking at passages from the Bible that show us that it is our duty to live for the glory of God and what that duty involves. 1 Corinthians, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, in other words, the most ordinary, nitty-gritty things that you do in life, eating or drinking or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So eat in such a way and drink in such a way as to show that you value the glory of God. You treasure the glory of God. The glory of God is your supreme 
pleasure and treasure. Eat and drink that way to call attention to the glory of God. So everything you do in life, do it all with a view to making God look great. Psalm 50, this is those songs, songs in the middle of the Bible. Number 50, verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, not a bull or a sheep, but thanksgiving from the heart glorifies me. So thankfulness, a thankful heart glorifies God. When you are thankful to God for every good thing that comes into your life, indeed every hard thing that God may turn for good, you make God look glorious. Romans, a letter from Paul to the Romans, chapter 4, verse 20. No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, not distrust, but strong faith, giving glory to God. And I think that participle right there, that verb following this, grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, implies that when you trust somebody, when you have faith in somebody, you make them look trustworthy, gloriously trustworthy. And the more you trust them for and the harder the situation you trust them in, the more glorious you make them look. So faith or trust is one of the ways that we show God to be glorious and live for his glory. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter five, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. In other words, your works of kindness and love towards other people and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So these good works should be flowing from our faith in God, our trust. If we trust God to meet our needs and don't have to be selfishly looking out for our own self all the time, then we are freed from greed and fear and released into good works. And thus those good works show the glory of God. They show how, how trustworthy and good and kind and loving our God is because we're trusting him to enable us to do good works so that when we do them, he gets the glory rather than us. So, so works of love that come from faith, give glory to God. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39. Teacher, they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, here's his answer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
So the, the great commandment that fulfills our reason for being is that we love God. But in order to connect that with the glory of God, we need to remind ourselves that love here does not, need, does not mean meet God's needs. <laughs> that might be what love means when it relates to people. But when it relates to God, he has no needs. Love to God means, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Take pleasure in God. Love God like you love a beautiful day or a, or a wife or health or a, a big, beautiful pan of pizza. In other words, your, your pleasure is to be found in the Lord above all things. Or Philippians chapter 4. So there's Psalm and here's, here's Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. That's what love means because... In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, chapter 17, verse 25, it says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't, since he himself gives, gives. He doesn't need, he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God has no needs. He is the overflowing giver. And therefore, loving God doesn't mean meeting God's needs. It means delighting in the God who is the giver of everything. And here's the connection with the glory of God in Romans 11. 35 to 36, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? And the answer there is nobody. That's the understood answer, right? Who has ever given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Nobody. You, if you give something to God, it's because he's already given it to you. So there's no repayment necessary. We're the ones who are in his debt, not vice versa. And here's the reason why you can't give anything to God for that puts him in your debt for from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, therefore, to him be glory forever and ever. So back to our original point. The first biblical truth that we saw last time was that God created, created for his glory. And the second one we have seen now today is, therefore, it is our joyful duty to live for the glory of God, which means being thankful from the heart to God in all things. It means trusting him in all situations. It means loving other people out of this trust and thankfulness. It means loving, that is, enjoying God supremely he's our greatest treasure and it means 
showing in all these ways that God is all wise and all caring and all good and all just. And what a, what a great world it would have been if we would have all lived for God's glory and our joy. It was a great vision. And now, next time we will see what dreadful thing happened so that good news is going to be so desperately needed.